FOC is you take the measurement of where the dead center of that arrow is, and then you measure from that point all the way up to where it wants to balance at. And that distance, that that amount, which is only going to be, you know, two or three inches, should be 15 to 19% of your whole length of your arrow that determines it. So basically in in a redneck terms, your front end's quite a bit heavier than the rear, 15% heavier than the rear. Hey guys, welcome to the National Deer Association's Deer Season 365 podcast. I'm your host, Brian Grossman, and I don't know about you guys, but I'm getting extremely pumped about the upcoming deer season. Uh, As I record this, we're less than three weeks away from opening day here in Georgia. I know some of you guys are fortunate enough to already be out there hunting. Uh, for some of you, there's there's still you know several weeks left until opening day. So I thought this would be the perfect time to get somebody on the show to talk about making sure that you and your equipment are ready for the archery deer season. And I can't think of anybody better to have on the show than Travis T-Bone Turner. Not only is Travis an, an avid archer and a well-respected bow technician, uh, but but you you just won't find a nicer, more humble guy in the outdoor industry. I had a blast talking with T-Bone, not only about getting ready for deer season, but also about his background and and how he got started shooting archery and deer hunting and and how all that led to his breakthrough in the hunting industry and and to where he is today. So I know you guys are going to enjoy our conversation, so stick around for that. Before we get T-Bone on the phone, though, I do need to mention that this episode of the Deer Season 365 podcast is brought to you by our friends at Bass Pro Shops. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, deer season's right around the corner, so there's no better time than now to head to your local Bass Pro Shops or Cabela's to stock up on gear for the upcoming season. Uh, and speaking of Bass Pro, we, we currently have a, a special going on for our new NDA Premium Membership. Uh, the price is still just $35 instead of the usual $49, and all the premium, all the new premium members get an NDA cap and decal. Uh, you get entered into our basic and premium membership giveaways. You're going to get discounts on hunting gear from our sponsors and partners. And now for a limited time, you're also going to get a $25 Bass Pro gift card. So there's absolutely never been a better time to become a premium member, an NDA member. Uh, And hey, if you're not in a position to spend $35 right now, at least head over to our website and sign up for our free basic membership. Uh, For that, you're going to get our weekly newsletter filled with the latest hunting and deer management information. Uh, You'll be entered into our regular basic membership giveaways. and, And you can check out both of those options, both the basic and premium membership on our website at deerassociation.com slash join. And one more thing before we talk to T-Bone, now is the time to get your hunting land liability insurance policy. Uh, Whether you're a landowner or a hunter who leases land, or maybe you're a member of a hunting club, hey, hunting land liability insurance is essential because both parties assume some legal risk while you're on that property. Uh, Landowners have a duty to, to guest and those paying to hunt 
and hunters need liability insurance to protect themselves and, and other members of their hunting group uh, and even guests against acts for which, you know, they could be held legally responsible. It's just not worth risking your personal assets or your family's financial security for an unfortunate accident or, or acts of others on the property where you hunt. And you can do that for as little as a few cents per acre. You can protect yourself or your hunt club and all of its members and guests and even the landowner with a $1 million policy. So for a quote, head over to DeerAssociation.com and click on the Hunting Land Liability Insurance uh, banner there on our homepage. And guys, with that, let's jump on the phone here with Travis T-Bone Turner. Well, hey, Travis, welcome to the uh, Deer Season 365 podcast. Uh, appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to come on here and uh, talk a little archery and a little little hunting with me. Absolutely, yeah. I've got a lot of problems, but talking about those topics is not one. So I appreciate you having me on, Brian. Yeah, well, good deal. Not a problem at all. I'm glad we could uh, get this scheduled, and yeah, I've been looking forward to it. So if you would, uh, hey, just kick things off by by giving us a little background on on how you got started in, in archery and the outdoors. I know a lot of guys, a lot of folks listening will be familiar with, with who you are, but uh, for any of them that maybe haven't heard your, your backstory, give us a little, some details on that, I guess. Yeah, um, um, actually, you know, I grew up hunting and fishing with my, you know, my dad and uncle and, you know, uh, people in our neighborhood and stuff like that from an early, early age. So, uh, and then, uh, like, like so many of us did. And then as far as getting into archery, I, I guess kind of archery is my background or forte. My dad had given me a, a bow for, uh, it was too much of a bow, but he gave me a bow for good grades when I was about 10 or 11 years old. And it was just too, too much to pull. And I kind of had a bad experience getting into archery where the, the it was, a uh, you know, too much of a boat. My dad didn't know what to get. So he got me a 45 pound recurve. And, you know, I, like a lot of people, I was hitting my arm and just kind of had a bad experience getting into to archery. So I, I put it down and, you know, I loved watching an arrow fly, of course, but it was just like, man, it's something I can't do. And, you know, it's just not going to work about like a kid swinging way too big of a bat. You know, it just, it's not a pleasurable experience. So I had a negative thoughts about archery. And then you know, I continued to rabbit hunt and deer hunted with a rifle and such through high school and got out of high school. And my buddies, I was really big into fishing. And, you know, they they were saying, you know, they taught me into getting into their hunting club that they had. And I, and I you know, I, I was looking forward to that. And then they said, hey, man, we're going to start shooting our bows if you want to get a bow. And I, I was like, nah, I'm not getting a bow. And I'm thinking here, 18, 19 years old, I still can't pull 45 pounds is what I was thinking. And, uh, of course, you go through a lot of changes from 10 years old to 18. So, <laughs> a few, yeah. Yeah, I, you know, I was playing football and, you know, lifting weights and stuff. But for some reason, I couldn't get over that hurdle in my head. I thought, well, I still can't pull 45 pounds and remembered how hard it was. So, anyway, long story short, they took me to, to the local sporting goods stores. I bought me a bow on a Wednesday. And I was nervous. I wouldn't pull it back in the store because I didn't want to be embarrassed. Here I am, a, you know, big guy you know, 260, 70 pounds and, you know, six foot two. And I'm like, here, here, I'm going to be embarrassed. I can't even pull back, you know, 50 or 60 pounds. So I bought a bow without even pulling it back. Just told the guy to tie the peep in where he thought it should go. And they had talked to, they had talked to, uh, the, in the store, the, the local guy that runs the local archery club, they were talking to him. And while I was getting my bow set up, went home, and, you know, at home that night, I was like, well, you know, it's do or die. I've got, you know, $400, $500 invested in this bow setup. I better see if I can 
pull it back. So, you know, I was by myself and I said, here we go, thinking it was just going to be really, really hard. So I went to pull it back and about rip the wheels off of it. So I was like, wow, I'm going to, I'm going to be able to do this. So, um, you know, it, it really opened my eyes up. It's like, man, that was easy. So, uh, went to my buddy's house the next day and they helped me get sighted in and, uh, you know, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, we shot and I mean, until our arms was about to fall off and I was doing pretty good. Um, and Sunday they, they was having a tournament. Those guys had talked about it going to that tournament. I'm thinking, I ain't going to no tournament. I just bought a bow, you know, four days ago, I ain't going to no tournament. And they talked me into going and we went and signed up for the bow hunter novice division, which is, you know, all the shots are 30, 35 yards or less. And we walked through there and it was great fun. Cause you know, it was like, anybody's ever shot 3d tournament they know it's a lot like a golf round you shoot with your buddies and you keep up with the score and you know we turned it in at the end we shot 20 25 deer uh, and animal targets and we turned the scorecards in and i was happy because one i didn't lose no arrows and i happened to you know beat the guys in my group so i was happy about that i was like wow man i'm i'm doing pretty good at this i ain't never been good at no sports except this is pretty nice and uh come to find out there was like 30 or 35 people in that class and I ended up winning the whole class. I shot the highest score of all the bow hunting beginners. And I was like, I was gut hooked, man, like a fish. I couldn't get enough of archery. So killed my first deer that year. And then, uh, you know, was still I was still working for Mercedes Benz in Atlanta. I did that for a couple of years. I won my first state championship in 1990. I won the world championships in 91. Quit my job working for uh, Mercedes Benz while I was still young and living at home and didn't have, you know, many responsibilities as far as a mortgage or a family or, you know, kids or anything. So I said, you know, I'm going to chase my dream, wanted to do something in the outdoor industry, went to work in a retail store, learned the retail side of things for a couple of years. And then me and a buddy of mine opened up our own store. And I had that, which was south of Atlanta. I moved away from uh, Atlanta and the suburbs of Atlanta to get down where the better hunting and fishing was about an hour and a half south of Atlanta. And uh, had the store for uh, a little over 12 years. In the meantime, it's closer to Realtree. Met the guys at Realtree, became good friends with Michael and uh, David Blanton. And they had asked me to do some stuff with them behind the scenes. And I started, you know, facilitating all the people that they would have hunting, whether it's a country music singer or a baseball player. And, you know, through that whole time I was shooting tournaments, I shot professionally for PSE, Browning, as well as Hoyt. Started shooting for Hoyt in 96 and I'm still with them today. So, uh, yeah, and then became good friends with Michael and, you know, we worked with Realtree, me, him and Nick worked with Realtree throughout the 2000s, um, shot tournaments up, you know, religiously up till about 2002. We started Bone Collector in 2007, 2008. And, you know, I, I'd sold my store in 2006 and, uh, been doing Bone Collector and, um, you, um, you know, doing appearances, working for Realtree, and uh, just basically living the redneck dream of working in the outdoor industry and filling a few freezers along the way. So that brings us up to modern day. So that's that's kind of the short version. <laughs> oh, man. Well, first off, yeah, I can relate to the first uh you know, bow that, that didn't fit. Cause, uh, I remember my parents, I think I was 13 and they, they bought me one for Christmas. And of course, you know, he didn't even take me with them, of course, to buy it, you know, it was a, it was a present. So they just went to the, the local hardware store and picked up a bow, you know, I had no idea what my draw length was or what kind of weight I could pull or anything. But, uh, 
but you know, I still still managed to to get hooked on it. I I think I shot that thing for a few years without a peep sight on it. I just had front sights on it, and you know, didn't know any different. Just uh, trying to shoot off of front sights without a peep sight. But uh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Somehow, somehow through all that, I still still managed to get hooked hooked on it, and and still love hunting with a bow more than anything. So oh, me me yeah. too. It's it's real therapeutic. I uh, you know, and and. When me and my, I sold my store, like I had said in 2006, and me and my wife, we built our house in 2008 as well. And the first measurements I had to have was, uh, you know, 20 yards free and clear in the basement so I could have an indoor <laughs> range. And there I, you built go. A, I built my shop in my basement. My wife's like, You sold the store. Why are you doing this? I said, I, I am, uh, even if I dip septic tanks for a living, I'm going to be working on bows till, you know, I can't no more for sure. I just absolutely love it. And, um, you know, I I feel like even today I still work on, you know, set up 40 or 50 bows and work on people in the industry and close friends and, you know, of course, celebrities and stuff. I still work with them and work on their bows even to this day because I, I feel like that's my way of giving back. I enjoy it. It, it. There's nothing that's more prideful to me than having someone to, uh, you know, basically uh, thinking that they can't that they can't hit the broad side of a barn and uh you know we set them up with a bow and they have a uh you know they're thinking like i'm gonna have to practice every day uh and i'm you know it's i'm gonna miss deer at 20 yards and then we go out there shortly after setting them up correctly uh and then we make sure that you know they, they get they're on the target and they're hitting a baseball you know nearly every time at 20 yards just to see their face and it does me you know rather than going through what i did at 10 years old and going through seven, eight, nine, ten years of having negative thoughts and, you know, getting a negative impression about archery, it, it does my heart good to know that hopefully between, you know, uh, tech tips or, or things that you may have on social media, because we was doing all this long before any social media and, and, and helping people firsthand that, uh, you know, these independent retailers and, and, you know, folks like myself that are, you know, giving little tidbits of help and getting people set up have a great experience into archery so that you know they can be proficient and they can too share their passion for the outdoors uh, through archery yeah yeah and that's that's what i love about archery is it's kind of the the great equalizer i mean it doesn't doesn't matter you don't have to be the most athletic or you know the the tallest or the biggest or the the fastest you know uh, it, it's just that anybody can can get into it and and excel at it if the you know, put in the effort. And yep. If you can bend a string basically. And then, I mean, I, some people may not believe it or think about it, but you know, I, I even categorize crossbows that way. You know, if, if that's going to get somebody into hunting and outdoors and, you know, a crossbow is bending a string or if a guy's had, you know, uh, shoulder surgeries or he's a elderly gentleman still wants to crawl up in a tree or, or blind by all means, I'm all for, uh, crossbow as long as it's legal i'm i'm for it absolutely yep as, as long as it's getting them out there getting them in the woods yeah i'm, I'm right there with you well you, obviously you were a, a a quick study on the archery side of things um what about the the deer hunting side of things were you were you a pretty good deer hunter right out of the gate or did uh did it take you a while to kind of to learn the ropes there oh, i think i'm still learning the ropes you know how that goes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, um yeah, they, they are, you know, of all the things I've been blessed to hunt across the country, um, whitetail is my favorite. And, and, and because they're like a fingerprint, meaning like no matter 
well, they're pretty diverse because they're in so many states across the country. And the way you hunt them in Montana ain't the way you do it in Florida. So lots of different strategies, you know, depending on the region or the state that you're in. And then the cool thing about it is, is each rack is different. You know what I mean? It's like they're, you know, the looking for the maturity of them. And then the, the each rack is different and just the whole, I've really gotten in, well, I mean, for years, but like I'm lucky enough to make a career out of, you know, archery and, and hunting and such. But my passion has been for the last 15 or 20 years is kind of land management, meaning like anything having to do with tractors or skid steers or, you know, manipulating these whitetails or building better habitat. I mean, that that is my passion, whether it's leasing a piece of property or buying a piece of property and seeing it for its potential and then going in there and polishing it and then, uh, you know, working on it to get it to where it's uh, its full potential and maximizing it. That's that's really my passion. But um, yeah, early on, no, I wasn't that successful. It, um, didn't have many places to hunt. I, I, I grew up hunting a lot, but it was mainly like quail hunting, really squirrel hunting and uh, rabbit hunting. And then uh, I deer hunted some uh, throughout high school. Uh, I played football throughout the fall. So it, it, that took up a lot of time. But when I got out of school, um, I joined that club, at, like I had said, and then I killed my first deer with a bow. And then that just set me a fire, meaning like, like you had said, with the archery, you know, with a gun kind of pretty much, especially here in the Southeast, you know, if he's under 200 yards invisible, you, you kind of got him for the most part. Whereas with a bow, just because he's at 20 yards and broadside, that doesn't mean the deal's done. There's, there's still a lot's got to happen. So it not, not, not that I'm against uh, rifle hunting whatsoever. It's just to me and for me, the, uh, the, the bow is a, just an added challenge and adds to the pride factor. So, um, no, I'm, I'm, I'm still learning. I, I feel like with this land management thing and, um, we, me and my, uh, my buddy that manages the properties we have, we, we've adopted this saying that, you know, through, you know, blinds are a big part now through redneck blinds and, you know, um, uh, pop-up blinds and such like that. We've adopted the saying of, uh, we're training these deer to die rather than like old school, you hit the woods and, you know, like every other weekend we was walking on walking our patch of woods seeing where the hottest sign was and seeing where to to move it now we we look long term rather than trying to hunt for the weekend or hunt for the week we are like putting things in motion things you do in march and april are planning for uh success in the fall so uh you know we're thinking that that may come with age and or just you know the more time you spend the field but you know we train these deer to die you watch them on cameras and study their behavior and then you basically go in and then uh, assassinate them <laughs> or try to. Yeah. 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 And man, that's just a whole, whole other aspect to the hunt there. I, now I just have 15 acres here where I live, but uh, yeah, there's, it's just a whole nother, I guess, rewarding part of it to, to do the work. Like you said, work on the land and, and then to slowly, see those results, you know, from, from the work you're putting in and oh, not yeah. just deer, but it just all the, all the wildlife and, and the stuff you get to, you get to see and uh, get to improve on. So, yeah, yeah. I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Meaning, you know, you, you know, you may cut a trail or snip some limbs or put up a, you know, a licking branch or something like that. And it's just fun to see how that is going to affect the deer movement and, you know, how pressure affects them and, 
and and with these cameras, you know, you can just keep tabs on things all year long. It's just it's just so nice. Yeah, yeah, it really is. So how did and you kind of briefly briefly skimmed over it there, but but how did um you know all this your 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 passion for archery and and you had the bow shop, but how did kind of all that lead into your career in the in the outdoors industry and and eventually the the development of of Bone Collector? Yeah, so um like I, I had my shop that um, my me and my buddy opened the shop, and then two years after after we had opened, I I bought him out, so I I owned it solely. The name of the shop was Archery Unlimited, and I'm, I live in the same uh, town and county as David Blanton does, and then um, Michael Waddell lives lived in Booger Bottom, which is just the next town over. And, uh, you know, we, we knew of each other and such, and then I guess by me moving down this way and having a background in in tournaments and, you know, I guess building a decent reputation as a, you know, a shop owner and a, you know, a, a bow tech, more people were bringing their stuff to me to work on. And, um, you know, I was real good friends with a couple of the cameramen and they said, Hey guys, you know, we need to start taking our stuff from Realtree, taking it up there, you know, to, to my shop. And this is close to 2000 and, uh, began, got, got to be good friends with David and Michael. And, uh, you know, just, just on a, you know, what what really got me, um, I guess my foot in the door is like I I would study, you know, back then there was no social media. So you would see a couple of different hunting television shows you'd watch. And then also you'd watch like uh, magazines. I was real big into reading anything, bow hunting, deer hunting, magazines and books and such. And you'd see all these illustrations and you'd see people, uh, you know, commercials or ads in magazines where God have the bow drawn back too far. The string would be behind <laughs> his ear no peep side in the bow, the release upside down, just like, you know, anybody that knows anything about archery, they was like, man, you know, that, that ad has no validity. So I was noticing like some of the people that, that, uh, Realtree were taking, you know, you could tell that they were struggling adapting to the bow that they had. So, you know, it always aggravated me and being a, you know, a tournament archer and working in a shop and, you know, getting well-versed and working on a bow. I, I just, I said, man, I may, I may shoot myself in the foot here, but I'm going to actually talk to David. I told David, I said, look, look, um, you know, you guys are the premier video and had the, you know, the best TV and the video series going, you know, back in the, you know, nineties and such. I said, I said, not that I'm the archery God or anything. I said, but being as I'm close here, if I can facilitate or help you guys, as far as getting people set up and getting them set up correctly through their draw length, their draw weight, and, you know, these celebrities that you're taking, they're not getting to hunt. A, I mean, I shoot a lot. We want to make sure that they have a good experience and then and that you guys are, you know, on, on your game, so to speak. Um, I, you know, I, I just want to offer my services. If, if you think I could be of assistance, I tried to do it in such a humble way as possible. And, and David said, you know, you're exactly right. You know, uh, um, we should make sure everybody it's not just like it's not as easy as getting a gun and you know, looking through the scope and shooting, you know, you'd have to be form fitted. I mean, there's a lot more goes into getting a, a bow set up. So with that, he, you know, they let me start working on all their stuff as well as some of the other uh, celebrities and such. And then Jeff Foxworthy uh, wanted to get into bow hunting, got him set up and uh, they were incorporating him. They were doing the incomplete deer hunter, which is kind of, there's <laughs> three parts to that, which where they were doing parodies of hunting and bringing comedy into it and it really really took off and 
I was behind the scenes setting up the Monster Bucks. If you've watched the Monster Bucks DVDs and VHS tapes from way back when, they always used to have an archery tournament. Michael, Bill, and David used to shoot against each other. And about every every third hunt, they would have a little get together where they'd be shooting and then they'd watch three or four more hunts. Well, you know, they were running out of ideas of how we could have a an archery tournament. And David was picking my brain because of me shooting tournaments. So I took all my targets that I had and I would build them ranges and I was just glad to be a part of it. I'm like, man, even though it's behind the scenes, I'm just absolutely, you know, ecstatic about being able to uh, work behind the scenes. And uh, so we did that for two or three years. And David came to me and was having a production meeting and asking, you know, what my ideas was. And I said, why not uh, incorporate Willie and Billy, which is the characters that, you know, Shane and Jeff Foxworthy were playing. I said, why not let them shoot against y'all? It'll be funny. And let them just absolutely wipe the course with y'all, even if it's street <laughs> photography. And they said, yeah, that'd be good. Well, Shane had never shot a bow and had no interest in it. And, you know, they came back to me and said, do you think that you could be a character, you know, T-Bone, and you could come up with a character to play alongside? Well, my name wasn't T-Bone. Then it was just Travis. They said, do you think you could do that? And I said, I said, yeah. So I come up with a, if anybody's seen it, it's an old whitetail hunter. You know, everybody in the, in the, late seventies and eighties had one of these bows oh, yeah. and I had a whitetail hunter and I rigged it up with a fishing rod and reel and had a big old long floppy hat, threw some Bubba teeth in there. And, <laughs> and, uh, they said, Oh, we love it. We absolutely love it. So, uh, I said, what are we going to call you? This was five minutes before we began filming. I said, well, what, a, you know, they Travis it in a hiccified name. And, uh, I was going to be Willie's uncle's cousin or something like that is what we come up with. And, they said, uh, I said, what about T-Bone? I said, that, you know, my name starts with T. It's short. It's easy to remember. And they said, yep, we'll call you T-Bone. So that's how, I, and I'm thinking I'm going to be a part of this, you know, video DVD. This was in the year 2000 and this will be my 15 minutes of fame. And, you know, I'll continue working in my shop and shooting a tournament or two and that'll be it. And, uh, man, I'm telling you, everybody loved the, the whole aspect of, you know, uh, breaking up the monotony, having a little comedy in there with the hunts and, you know, people were playing it at their hunting camps and the, the, you know, kids was wanting to watch more and women were wanting to watch more. And each year after that, Realtree incorporated me with that. And they also asked me to, to do like seminars and go to grand openings and things like that. So I would do that from time to time. And, um, you know, I started doing more and more with Realtree each year and going on a couple hunts and, you know, me, Michael and Nick all worked with Realtree in some form or fashion. And then, uh, Michael started hosting road trips in the early 2000s and they asked me and Nick to be on a couple of episodes and we were on them and and then uh, Michael Michael left Realtree as an employee he still was uh, hosting Realtree road trips but he was also hosting a show for Gander Mountain around 2005 six, seven. and you know he was wanting to come up with his own show and uh, you know naturally we were staying in contact and um he asked me and Nick if we would like to be a part of it. And, and it was perfect timing for me because I just had sold my store. I was working out the agreement with the people that I had sold my store to. I had to work for two years for them. And, you know, that was coming up to be an end. I mean, I could have still continued to work on, but I had the option of leaving then. And, you know, they he was wanting to start Bone Collector. And we're thinking, man, this is only going to, this will be a two or three year deal. You know, and then we'll, you know, I don't know what the next chapter for all of us will be, but we'll give it a try. And, you know, that was in 2008. And, you know, here we are you know, 16 years later and, you know, still still relevant. And thankfully that, you know, people are 
you know, enjoying watching Bone Collector and the, the antics between me, Michael and Nick. And, you know, I, we we always say, you know, it's a brotherhood, but we hope that folks like our show from the standpoint of not pounding our chest at, you know, hey, look at me, we're killing big deer. We, we never want to, you know, come across that way. We want it to be the sharing, the camaraderie, the fellowship. And we hope people feel like they, you know, shared camp and, uh, you know, and, and it's, it's not such an ego thing. It's a, you know, if you do happen to kill a big deer, that's just a cherry on top. There's so much more that we get out of, you know, everything that's involved in hunting and archery and, and such. Oh yeah. Yep. Yeah. And, and I think y'all have done a great job of, of branding it that way. I mean, obviously let's look at the, the following you guys have developed and, you know, I think it, it speaks for itself. You definitely struck a chord, you know, with a lot of folks out there that I think, you know, everybody likes to see a, a, a big buck go down. Don't get me wrong, but you know, it, it just, um, a lot of guys, I guess, can't relate, you know, to some, some of these, some of the shows out there that way. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah and, and it's nice to watch that, but you know, let's, let's just put it in perspective. That's not reality, you know, and, We'd like for folks to watch our show uh, or, or they're getting out of it. It's like, you know what? That reminds me of my hunting camp or, you know, that's just like me and my buddies or, you know, I'd love to share camp with them guys. They look like they'd be a good, good time. And we never want it to be ego driven. And, you know, we all get labeled, you know, people that are on TV that as professional hunters, but we don't like that label at all because, I mean, half the people that are watching our show are way better hunters than we are. We just, you know, if you got to put a label on it at all, it's uh, an outdoor entertainer, basically. No, no difference in us and anybody else other than there's a camera over our shoulder. That's about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and that, that ad that you were describing with the missing peep sight and the bow pulled back yeah. past his ear, I'm, I'm pretty sure that was a picture of me with my first year hunting. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you know, that, that that's just it. You know, uh, it was it's not as bad now because you have social media and you can look up on YouTube and you can get real oh, familiar yeah. and gain an education real quick. But yeah. man, back in the day in the, in the eighties and the nineties, I mean, we were all lost as last year's Easter egg. I mean, <laughs> yeah. to get information, you, you either read it in a magazine or you just, you plopped your butt every uh, free moment you had at an archery pro shop and you just became a sponge. And that's what it was me. I would just sit there and learn and learn and learn and, I mean, what, what I can learn in a week now would take me sometimes a year and a half, two years, you know, back in the day. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so, we, we had a little little outdoor store there in the small town I lived in. It was He was in a little single-wide trailer on the outside of town there, but he had maybe like three VHS tapes, you know, hunting VHS tapes that I would just, he'd let me borrow. I'd go in there, I'd wore those things out, man, <laughs> like, like bow hunting October whitetails and some oh. of those early... <laughs> That's the classic, man. That's such a good one. <laughs> yeah, man. That, it's uh, yeah, it's a whole lot different now. Like you said, you you got everything you could possibly want to know at uh, yeah. your fingertips now. But our outdoor store, or the good, the best archery shop in our area, was an hour and ten minutes away from me and my buddies. And I would get off work and I would drive up there. I would get there just before they close. I mean, I would it would kill me to get there. I'd rent a tape, and that was back in the day when they had to be back the next day. So I would drive, we'd drive to my buddy's house and we'd watch that tape sometimes twice in one night. And this is on a weeknight, us having to work the next day. We'd watch the tape and then I, you know, naturally I'd take the tape with me to work and then I'd drive all the way up there again. I mean, that's how, uh, you know, just addicted we were to it. And I'd, I'd turn that tape in or 
most of the time get another one. So I was going up there two and three times a week, driving all that way just to rent a tape so we could watch over and over and over. Yep. Whereas now you got it at your fingertips. You can oh, watch yeah. YouTube till you're, yeah. you're sick in the face. <laughs> yeah, 24 seven. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Well, obviously, you've had the, the opportunity to experience a, a lot of cool hunts and, and experiences during your time in the industry. So uh, any any favorites that stand out among those? You mean like uh, hunts and such? Yeah, yeah. Any, any yeah. certain hunt that, you know, stands out uh, yeah. above the rest? You know, there's a there's a lot of them. That's a that's a question we get asked a lot. And um, I mean, the, for, for obvious reasons, I killed a. I got a one that wasn't filmed was I killed a it was almost a Pope and Young with my recurve right here on my my place at home. So that was a extremely rewarding. And then the first uh, uh, me, me and my son killed a doe together when he was about eight years old. That was real rewarding. And I guess the one that probably stands out bone collector wise is, um, you know, I mean, I've been fortunate enough to kill some some good deer on a farm I had in Kansas and and a couple good, really good deer here on my place in Georgia. But um, I guess the one that stands out was the first year of Bone Collector. I'd been putting in for Iowa for like four years up to the point of us starting Bone Collector. So I was going to be, I, I drew an Iowa tag the year we started Bone Collector and I was going to go to Iowa regardless if we filmed it or not. It just worked out that we started Bone Collector and Nick, you know, we, we I mean, we was on a I mean, a skeleton's budget. So Nick was actually filming me and uh, Whitetail Properties had actually given given uh, me and Nick a, a track that they had up there. And they, they said, look, nobody's hunted it. You know, we own it. Y'all just have at it. So it was just like a blank slate. We had to go in there and scout, uh, put in cameras. You know, that was long before cell phone cameras. So we had put in cameras and, uh, you know, we put up stands and, and, uh, you know, I, I, at that point in time, I killed one Pope and Young I, on a Texas hunt. But other than that, I hadn't really killed, killed a whole bunch of deer and, and done a tremendous amount of traveling. And my, my goal was, you know, I, I would, I would love to like kill about 150 inch buck in the Midwest, you know, like on a timber hunt and man, it all worked together and it made it that much sweeter because it was a timber hunt. We had rattled this buck in, he was leaving. I snort wheezed him, brought him back down through the through the hardwoods and uh shot him and man me and nick got emotional i was i mean we were we were crying like two schoolgirls up in that stand and just because you know like man a you know a fat flat-footed redneck from georgia i'm like i can't believe that you know i got this opportunity to come to iowa and you know we did it i mean we actually did it i mean i've watched all these you know uh hunting tapes and everything for so many years of all these destination hunts and and i i just was a part of that. And then the deer ended up scoring 161. Um, you know, it was for the longest time, that was the biggest buck I'd killed with a, uh, a bow. So that one was pretty memorable because, you know, Nick had a, he had an old, I mean, a ragged out Toyota Forerunner, and we didn't have no room for our gear. And he brought it, he said, man, no, I've got a trailer. And he picked me up. He drove down from Minnesota and he picked me up, uh, at, at the Iowa airport. And I'm telling when I tell you this, this trailer was a rabbit trailer. It had like eight inch wheels on the back. I mean, it, 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 it it's re- basically a lawnmower trailer. Like you work in your yard in. Yeah, yeah. That's what he had. And I'm thinking he had a trailer so we could haul some stands and, and stuff like that. And I'm like, oh man, this was, this was like the Beverly Hillbillies hunting. It was, but you know what? It just made the story that much sweeter, you know, because 
you know, we got it done. And um, yeah, just so, so rewarding. I, I, I use the terminology of pride factor, but the, the pride factor was at an all time high because, you know, it was an archery hunt. It was our first year of bone collector. You know, Michael was believing in us. We did it all DIY. We, you know, we, uh, you know, just everything that you could check off the box to, to make it a good hunt. We called the deer in. It was a pre-rut situation, real cold, you know, it just everything just made it just a, the, the perfect scenario. And, um, you know, I was just so appreciative. So that, that's probably one of my most memorable ones. Oh yeah. 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 All those, all those little, little challenges add to the, like you said, the, the pride factor, that sense yeah. of accomplishment. So yeah, that, that's cool. And it's funny, you can glance at the deer on the wall. You know, I know everybody listening can probably attest to this, you know, no matter what, what deer, it's a European mount or a rack that you've got on the wall. You can just look up there and every, every bit of those emotions and memories just come flooding back. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, I guess that's what makes taxidermy so, so awesome. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Yep. For sure. Well, let, let's sh- shift gears a little bit and, and talk about preparing for the upcoming archery deer season because uh man it, it is going to be here before you know it um in fact I'm, I'm starting to go into panic mode here a little bit now <laughs> thinking of all the stuff i still need to do but uh yeah it's it's already august as we're recording this and by the time it goes live it's going to be later in august late august so uh deer season's going to be right there uh, so with that in mind i guess what what steps should a bow hunter take to start preparing for the upcoming season now. Of course, they, you know, ideally they should already been preparing, but uh, if not, you know, assuming their bow's still sitting in the case collecting dust from last season, um, how, how do they need to start preparing? And, and I guess let's start with the kind of the equipment side of things first, what they need to be doing equipment wise, and then we'll get into the actual, you know, the practice side of things. Okay. Yeah. The, um, yeah, like you said, I, I'd like, I'd like to think that folks have been, uh, been shooting and bending the string a little bit usually like um you know i know a lot of people shoot all year long but but if you had to put a date on time to get ready it's usually around fourth of july is what you know uh, I, i'd love for people to switch you know you hopefully have gotten your vacations out of the way and you know uh it's it's time to fling an arrow or two um first thing you should do is like when you're you know getting your bow out of your case or if you haven't messed with it in quite some time is definitely you know check the strings um, and if you don't feel qualified or, you know, you, you can't find the, uh, the, the, the know-how to check a string to see if the strings are broke under the servings or the strings are frayed, uh, you want to make sure that the bow is, is still, you know, safe to draw back and in good shape to draw back. Cause I mean, honestly, there's a lot of times that if your strings, you know, three or four or five years old, and sometimes a lot of guys get that surprise, they put them up in the case and, you know, they come undone throughout the late winter and spring and early summer they'll they'll come apart so um you know it's a good thing to you know get it checked out take it to your uh, local pro shop you know a, a reputable pro shop have them check it out um you know naturally you want to check your arrows check your veins make sure that your veins are still intact can you know do a little inventory on your how many broadheads you got and how many uh you know arrows and if it's time to you know if you're if you're uh, low on arrows and it's time to get some more arrows, might want to look into changing up your arrow a little bit. You know, that's a good time to, if you're wanting to build a different arrow with a little higher FOC or, a, you know, try a different arrow, that's a good time to do it when you're getting low and it's time to, rather than just going in there and giving me more of what I got, if you did want to change it, now's a good time to do so. And 
naturally check all your bolts. Um, you know, if you put your bow away wet, uh, odds are there's probably some things rusted. So you want to make sure that your drop away rests are working in order. And if everything's in shooting condition, then you'll want to double check your tune, you know, shoot it through the paper, make sure you got a good paper tune, uh, you you get a good tear and you can either do it yourself or like I said before, you can take it to an independent retailer and let the pro shop guy take a look at it and, uh, you make sure you're dialed in as far as that go. And then, um, you know, it's a good time to, when you do go to the shop or if you're looking online or whatever, you know, there's a lot of accessories and gadgets that come out each year. It's like, you know what, last year I had a problem seeing this site. Might want to look at a new site. Now's a good time to do so. You don't want to, you know, practice with a old site and then, you know, a week before season go to try and decide a new site in. So any changes you make before you start your routine, now's a good time to do that. So, uh, Assuming everything's in, in working order, then, uh, you know, like uh, wax your strings, of course, you know, lubricate where it needs to be lubricated. Take some like fluid film or some type of oil, put on a Q-tip, touch up all the places that are rusted. Uh, biggest thing is just wax and string. It's just, you know, preventative maintenance or where we may have uh, had some problems at the end of last year. You know, we, we as men and folks are real susceptible to procrastinating, meaning like, yeah, I need to fix that and should have fixed it in January, but now here it is July. You got to, um, you know, try to get things fixed up. So, um, yeah, that, that's basically on your equipment end. Um, and, and it's a good time to search for like broadheads that you may want to try, you know, before you, you purchase and, you know, go down to the local pro shop, listen at the local gossip, kind of see what's going on, start tuning into some YouTube and social media and seeing what's hot and what's not. So, uh, you know, now's the time to make a change before you do start uh, a practice routine targets. You may need to get you a new 3d target or a bag target or what have you. So, um, yeah, now's the time to do that before you really start pounding the target. Yeah. Now you, you mentioned strings there. Do you have a, a recommendation as far as I mean, how often do you need to replace the the strings on your bow? And and I know, you know, part of that's obviously gonna be dependent on how much shooting you're doing, but I, I guess for the average, you know, average hunter, is um, there a I rule of say, thumb? Yeah, there there's not a there's not a you know, a an odometer, I guess you could say to that, but you know, you you basically it's a visual check. Some bows uh, have a little more aggressive cam or, you know, if you have a real short axle to axle, you put more apex in the string. So you're, you know, you're bending the string like a copper wire back and forth and they tend to want to break underneath the D loop where the string is being bent back and forth. So a lot of times they're breaking and you can't see it because it's covered up between the D loop, the knocking points and of course the serving. So if uh, you have any serving areas, whether it's where it wraps in the cam or the center serving, that looks like a snake, you know, like it's almost snaking. That's a telltale sign that there's strands that are breaking underneath there. So um, you don't, uh, unless you shoot a lot, I mean, like nearly every day for a full year, odds are you you won't need to replace your strings every year. But probably if you shoot a pretty good bit about every two years to three years, you should be able to get a, a solid two years out of a set of strings. Um, uh, granted, if you do a lot of spot and stalking, if you've hunted in a lot of rain where the you know the bow was dry, then it got wet, you was in the snow, and then you drug it through the weeds and the brush, and you're always rubbing up against limbs, and you know it takes some abuse. Then you know those are things that's going to escalate when you change out your strings. But you know waxing every 
you know, two weeks, if you're shooting on a regular basis or you're dragging it through the weeds and you see some frayed spots on the strings, you need to wax your string up then. But, you know, don't wax the serving, of course. You know, a lot of people make that mistake and they wax everything. But when you end up waxing your serving, it causes it to separate and pull apart. So only wax where you got the exposed fibers. But uh, yeah, and and again, you know, I, I I know it sounds like I'm pushing people towards their independent retailer, but honestly, they've got the trained eye. You know, he can, uh, a guy working in a pro shop can look a bow over, you know, in five minutes and, and you know, tell you right off the bat, no, your strings are good. Yeah, you're going to need strings. You know, they, they, they'll be able to recommend that. So worst case, the worst thing that could happen is, is you think, well, I'm going to get one more year out of it. And you get to practicing and then, you know, October 20th, your, your, your string breaks, man, that's a, that's a sick feeling knowing you're fixing to stroll right into the rut with a, with a broke bow that you got to redo the whole thing on. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Any doubt whatsoever, definitely uh, better off just like you said, getting, taking it somewhere and and get it checked because you don't want to, you don't want to find out the hard way for sure. That's exactly right. Yeah. Um, Punch yourself in the face. Ooh. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, but uh, I'll go ahead. I was going to say you 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 always want me to chat a little bit about the shooting and like regiments and stuff like that or practice routines. Yeah. Before we get into that, you had mentioned paper tuning and I was just going to ask you to to expand on that a little bit because that man is one thing, even myself trying to learn more about tuning my bow. And there's so many different opinions and, and methods out there. Um, you know, paper tuning, bare shaft tuning, walk back tuning, and you know, all these different styles. What, what, what do you recommend for you know the average bow hunter to to get yeah, the bow dialed in? Exactly, and um, you know, by all means, there's a lot of different ways to tune. You know, just like you said, walk back tuning and stuff like that. But I think if people would spend more time, you know, once you get a basic tune. And, you know, assuming you've got the right era, you need to make sure you got the right spine. But if, you, if you're paper tuning in, no matter what you do with the rest, the the arrow is not receptive to your moving it. That, that usually is a telltale sign that your spine is off. So you want to make sure that you have adequate spine. Spine is the stiffness of the era. And you want to make sure that you have enough spine to handle the um, the the load on the, the the cam is putting on there. You want to make sure that you're handling the force that's being put onto the arrow, that the arrow, the arrow is going to handle it. Cause too weak of a spine is a really bad problem. It's just about, you cannot correct it. Whereas too stiff of a spine. Um, if you know, if, if you have to error to one side or the other, you want it too stiff because once the arrow is absorbing is capable of absorbing the energy too stiff is not, not an issue. So, Assuming you have the right arrow and, uh, you know, when you, if you do try to load up the front end, keep in mind by putting heavier weights in the front, which I do recommend, uh, will decrease the spine of the arrow. So a lot of times if you're going to put heavy weights up in the front where it's 75 to 150 grains uh, extra on the insert, not counting the point to increase your FOC, which is uh, front of center percentage, then uh, you will need a stiffer shaft. So usually go up one size. So if the charts are recommending that you shoot a 400 spine and you're going to try to add some weight, you just can't add weight to the, whatever the spine that it recommends. You need to take into consideration you're going to really weaken that spine and go up in one spine size, one stiffer spine to absorb the added uh, 
the weight that you're putting on the front end. So assuming we've got the right spine, shoot it through the paper and then the paper will let you know which way, you know, there's a lot of great, um, uh, uh, charts that are on the internet that you can look at, you know, if it's ripping to the left, you move it to the right. And then a lot of times with bows of today, especially like I can speak of Hoyt and Matthews, which are, you know, probably the top two manufacturers, you, uh, need to reshim or change the spacing of your cam, uh, you know, Bowtech as a, as as well. So what that does is is actually changing how much pressure is on the top limbs and or the lean of the cam because most all cams are really big now. You know, they're four to five inches around in, in circumference, so that track um, tracks differently and it, pr- it puts different pressures on there. So you're adjusting that to your hand pressure and everybody's going to be different. So you'll need to change out the shims or the top hats and shim that cam over to the left and right. Now I may be talking pure Japanese to a lot of folks out there. So with that said, that's another reason to take it to your, you know, your qualified uh, independent retailer and they'll know exactly what to do. But when you're walking that cam over left and right, uh, it'll bring the tune of the bow uh, right on in. Now, granted, a paper tear, a, a good clean bullet hole is is for the masses, ninety five percent of everybody. That that is adequate, meaning it ensures that the bow is the arrow is leaving the bow uh, true, and that it also ensures that you have the right spine. Um, most people uh, can't shoot the difference. You know, if you're shooting groups at thirty and forty yards, they probably can't shoot the difference to tell if they need to you know, bare shaft tune and or, um, you know, like um, walk back tune with that because they're not capable of shooting a consistent shot. When I mean that between punching the trigger, anticipating the release, hand torque, inconsistent hand torque, uh, your groups are not going to be enough to where you can get a good read on that to do that. So, you know, not by no means trying to sound arrogant, what, what someone should do just for, you know, the basics is make sure your bow is tuned so that it you know that it is shooting correctly. You got the right spine. It's tuned. It's shooting a, a good tear. Then go out. And then the best thing for your practice routines is it's going to shoot good. I mean, it's going to shoot good. But if you're trying to get it that much better, I would recommend that someone works on themselves to be more machine-like and duplicate their form more so spend more time on that and doing the things and uh, training yourself to where it's a uh, you know a real loose and limp shot no anticipation no target panic because all those things mess with the tune of the bow and make it inconsistent so we should spend more time once we've got a good basic tune and uh, knowing the bow is uh, correct we need to work on ourselves more so than we do um, the the you know trying to hyper tune or super tune a bow so to speak because most of us can't shoot the difference to get a good reading as to what we're doing is really affecting the accuracy or the forgiveness of the bow it, i hope that makes sense no yeah it, it absolutely does make sense yeah, yeah but, but you got to have good grounds to start and that there is you know everybody has to you need to make sure that you got the right spine error and that it that it is tuned because you know you don't want it to those are we we call it forgiveness and what it is is you're just making sure that the bow is forgiving to all of our flaws as a human and an inconsistency. So that's why we're talking about forgiveness. If the bow's tuned right, it's going to make up for some of our inconsistencies and, 
you know, whether we're herky jerky and have target panic or punch the trigger or inconsistent hand torque, or you grab the bow one time and you don't grab the bow the other, everything you do like that is going to be inconsistent. So we want the bow to be as duplicatable as possible so that we get good, good, uh, accurate results. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I've, you know, I've, I've seen that with myself, um, you know, get out there and, and shoot and be like, man, for some, you know, for some reason I'm, I'm hitting right every time and you start messing with things. And then, you know, two days later you come back out and, and now you're back over to the left because it, your bow was fine the other day. It was just, you know, you were doing so either, you know, sometimes it's just being physically tired, you know, you shoot for so long and, and then you start getting a little sloppy and, you know, next thing you know, you're, you're not hitting uh, where you're supposed to and, and you get messing with your bow and just make things worse. So, oh, yeah. 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 And, and you know, we're, we're all we're all built the same way. We're built for convenience, man. You know, we'd rather spend two hours on the Internet shopping around for a site that's going to make us hit better rather than spending an additional 15 or 20 minutes out there shooting, trying to make us, uh, oh, you know, yeah. us be more consistent and have yeah. good muscle memory. Yeah. Well, you, you've mentioned. uh arrows there a couple times and, and foc where where do you stand on the whole you know heavy versus light arrow and and what what do you recommend for a good arrow setup well it it, it uh you know i mean boy that i mean that is absolutely a hot topic and has been for the last couple of years and uh and it's not a it, it's a good topic i'm glad people are are going down this route it's a, it's no doubt that a heavy arrow is going to penetrate better but um, you know, everything revolves around the Ashby studies. I'm good friends with Dr. Ashby and have been for 20 plus years. And I, I do believe in all of his testings. Uh, you know, granted, we have to take into consideration he's doing testing on Cape Buffalo, which, you know, within reason, you know, us in the United States, you got to take into consideration how much you're pulling, what type of broadhead you're using, what animal you're hunting, what are my shots going to look like? You know, you got to take all of that into consideration. But whenever I get asked this question, I always like to throw it at it this way, meaning like if you were only going to shoot hogs at 20 yards, uh, you know, absolutely a 600 grain arrow. So you don't have to really worry about that plate or shoulder. If you get a 300 pound bore in there, that that might be the smart way to go. However, we all don't hunt like that. Some people are shooting 50, 60, 70 yards at mule deer or elk. Um, and you need a little flatter trajectory. You need a little more speed. You know, I am not a fan of, you know, blazing 330 feet per second with a 390 grain arrow. I'm not that way. And I'm not on the other end of the spectrum of, you know, you got to shoot a 650 grain uh, arrow with a single bevel broadhead to, you know, kill a whitetail. I, I think that's a little bit. So I like to, if we're, if we're taking the masses, 90% of all hunters, let's just say that the average guy is pulling from, say, 27 and a half inch draw to 30 inch of draw length, and he's pulling from 60 pounds to 70, 75 pounds, which is the meat and potatoes of most all hunters. Um, I, I think that I like to recommend um, what and what I think is the best is like from a 475 grain era up to about a 550 grain era. And we're say, let's just say we're only hunting North American big game. You know, about the biggest thing you'll hunt is a elk. Uh, you know, if you did go to a moose or a buffalo or something like that, you'd need to tweak things. But let's just say that we're hunting everything from, a, you know, a hog to a moose. Uh, uh, I think that 475 to 550 grains. And I think uh, getting your FOC, 
I, I do believe in FOC and I do believe it is forgiving and I do believe it helps in so many ways, you know, because if we're weighing out pros and cons, you're going to see way more pros with a heavier front of center for shooting in wind, uh, forgiveness. Uh, it doesn't magnify the flaws in your form. It's going to help steer a broadhead. Uh, it's going to help in penetration, mass weight. So if you're checking off pros and cons, uh, FOC in that, I like to be in that 15 to 19%, but definitely like to be at least 13% or more for a hunting shaft. I, I personally like to see people in that 15 to, to 19% uh, range and making sure that you keep your spine correctly. Um, Which, and, um, go ahead. Wait, oh, just real quick, when you say like 15%, you're saying the, the front of the arrow is 15% heavier than the back end of the arrow. Is that, is that correct? Well, the way you measure it, there's a formula for that. You measure halfway, and there's several formulas out there. There's a, there's a little bit of uh, discrepancy, I guess you could say, on where you measure your FOC and how you measure it. Some, some charts say that you measure it where you cut the arrow or the throat of the knock. But in my opinion, if you're measuring balancing points of an arrow, you need to take into consideration the whole length of the arrow from the very tip of the broadhead because you can measure the FOC with a 100-grain film point and then measure the FOC with a 100-grain broadhead. And the broadhead, we all know, is going to be another inch to you know two inches longer than the fill point. And, and that, through leverage, is going to change the balance point of that arrow. So um, FOC is you take the measurement of where the dead center of that arrow is, and then you measure, you measure from that point all the way up to where it wants to balance at. And that distance, that, that amount, which is only going to be, you know, two or three inches, should be 15 to 19% of your whole length of your arrow. Meaning like if it was a 30-inch arrow, 15% of 30 is where the balance point is going to be in front of midpoint of the arrow. Okay. That determines it. So basically in in a redneck terms, your front end's quite a bit heavier than the rear, 15% heavier than the rear. Um, and, and, and you can increase your FOC a lot of different ways, not just by purely putting weight up front. You can shorten your arrow, well, you know, shoot short you know, move your wrist back a little bit, not to where it's past the pivot point of your wrist or in an overdraw fashion. It's kind of hard to do that in this day and age anyway. But if you move your arrow rest back and you, you know, without being in danger, cut your arrows as, as, as short as you can and still be safe. And then also, if you lighten the rear of your shaft, you know, a lot of people put four, four veins on there, four fletching, and then they'll put you know, a heavy lighted knock, and then they got heavy arrow wraps. Well, all those things are adding mass weight to the rear of the shaft, which is when you add mass weight to the rear of the shaft, you stiffen the arrow on the shot, but you're actually um, decreasing your FOC. So every grain that you put in the rear makes you have to put two to three grains in the front to offset how much weight you got in the rear. So a light rear of the shaft helps your FOC. So Shoot as short as short as air as you possibly can, and then if you are wanting to increase your increase your FOC, go with a lighter grains per inch arrow. One that is easily easy to manipulate is something that weighs like about eight point nine grains per inch up to about ten. That high eights to to in the nines and tens is a easy arrow to achieve the weights that that I'm recommending. 
and uh, you know, of course, make sure you've got you know the spines right because you you can really uh, do a lot of uh, damage or mess it not damage, but uh, to t- mess up your tune big time by putting too much weight into a week of a spine, and you'll never get that thing to tune. So, um, and then there's great component systems that allow you now, like see, for years back in the day, and I'm so glad of this now. Cause I've been, you know, preaching and a fan of FOC for a long time, being friends with Dr. Ashby, but there was no components and or choices for us. We either, we just had to get a 125 grain broadhead or, you know, uh, you know, build a heavier era. We just, I've, I've put sand in the era. I put <laughs> a weedy record in an era. I've done all kinds of things to increase that weight or, you know, screw two inserts together. Whereas now you have three or four different, uh, component companies, uh, that offer, heavier components, longer inserts to increase the static spine of the arrow. So that helps you with your spine of the arrow, as well as a stainless steel outsert to go over the top, which adds in weight and adds in uh, keeping those carbon fibers bonded together to where you're increasing the structural integrity and you don't have blowouts with your broadhead because we all know if a broadhead breaks at the ferrule or blows out the side of your arrow on a, on a quarter shot or so, you know, you're, you're no matter how much uh, kinetic energy you have, if the broadhead is not part of the arrow, you're, you're not going to do any damage. So you're, you're everything's done. So structural integrity is the number one thing to make sure that you maintain whenever you're uh, messing around with the FOC. Well, in, in any uh, component system. So, um, I, I mean, I could keep talking for a long <laughs> time on this. So, uh, but yeah, um, FOC is is really important because. Here's a quick analogy to show you how important FOC is. Let's just say that you had a, this is a big scheme, and a, a, let's just say you had a, a mop handle that was equal weight from, from one end to the other. It's just a, just a wooden dowel. You take and you sling it out through the yard. You know it's going to go end over end over end over end. Let's just say now we take that same mop handle and you put a two-pound weight on one end and you sling it the same same way, it'll never make a revolution. It's going to travel through the air like Thor's hammer. If you've ever thrown a hammer, you ever notice how it never spins because the hammer is weighted on one end. The weight, I know this is not the right physics term, but it's it's almost like it's being pulled through the air. So once you start that heavy front end of that arrow in motion, um, it basically pulls the rear of the shaft because it can't swagger left and right. The heavy weight is being pushed through the air. And if side wind is touching it, it's not going to go off course. And if the the rear of the shaft is wanting to sway back and forth, left and right, like you're pulling a trailer, it basically straightens it up because the heavy, the heavy uh, truck or the heavy front end, it pulls the trailer in blind. It's like, Hey man, you're not getting out of line. So (laughs) a heavy front end can do as much for steering as, a lot of offset and helical in the rear of the shaft. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And you're, you're right. I actually just, just earlier today before we got on the phone here, ordered some, some hundred grain brass inserts. So it, yeah, it's easier now than, than ever to. Oh yeah. uh, Weight those arrows down, you know? Yeah. I use, uh, and, and, and they, there is component companies that just build components. So it's like, you know, a lot of the arrow manufacturers offer heavier choices which is good, but like, uh, like ethics, which is based out of the Carolinas, they offer, I mean, for every t- style era, no matter what brand it is, they offer components for it with 
not only is it a long insert and, and people will say, well, I don't want an insert that's three or four inches long. Well, actually you do because it makes, it'll make a 28 inch arrow shoot as if it's the stiffness of like a 25 inch arrow. And then on top of that, you can change the weight by cutting the rear of it off. Let's just say you don't want a hundred grains. It's got little marks on there that you can fine tune it and manipulate it to the exact weight that you want to make sure that you're getting the FOC and the weight that you want. And then after all that, you take that stainless steel outsert sleeve that goes right over the top of it that just puts that all into a nice package to where it basically uh, you have zero blowouts or zero, zero breakages. That end of that arrow is a is a uh, molded um, as tight as a hammer. It's not coming apart. Well, good deal. <clears throat> well, what's, assuming we have our, our equipment all tuned and, and ready to go, our arrow set up, uh, what, what do you recommend as far as a, a practice routine? Well, um, yeah, and, and that's, that's a good point. Meaning, you know, and, and you practice based off the time you have or how much, you know, the wife and kids are going to allow you to pra- practice and or, you know, time wise between work and, you know, sunset and sundown. Um, so a good practice regiment that's something that basically everybody can do is like, you know, as you're leaving the house, going to work, have your bow on the back porch or just step outside and maybe fire like three arrows. Because, you know, when we're hunting, you're not going to get no warm up shots. So, you know, assuming you've got your bow sighted in, um, you know, just step out the back door and fire your three arrows into the target, put your bow back in the house and just go to work. Don't even go pull them. Just give it your best. Like, stack up all the pressure that you can, you know, imaginary wise, visual wise, and just say, man, that's that big buck. I got him. I got, I got three arrows. Give it all your best. And then when you get home from work, go pull those arrows. And, you know, it could be three, it could be five and then do the same thing. You know, if, if that's, that's all you get to do, that's going to be some good practice. I mean, if you'll pull your heart and soul instead of say, you know, practice makes perfect and thinking that you got to shoot 60 arrows a day, if you'll pull your heart and soul into, you know, like, six to 10 good errors a day, you'll get some quality uh, shots out of that. So I, I, that, that's, that's something I recommend doing is, you know, just try to get you a few cold bore shots under your belt and, and really pour your heart into it. And then also let's just say you work, you know, daylight to dark and you don't have, you can't go shoot. Well, you know, uh, taking a rubber band or a piece of string and hooking your release on there and, you know, maybe even holding a, a set of sights, an old set of sights or, I've even held like the end of a pencil and visualize that you're aiming at a, you know, a, a, a fly on the wall or a, you know, a, a just, just a light switch or something like that. Uh, it does a lot of visualization and just execute the, the, the release, you know, pull into that string and execute the shot so that you're going through the motions and building muscle memory. And, you know, you're, you're uh, visualizing, you know, what a good shot looks like. And even, driving in traffic let's just say you drive and take an old set of sights set it up on the on you know with your steering wheel and as you're driving down the road just just aim and visualize like i'm aiming at a guy's tail lights or i'm aiming at the keyhole in the trunk or you know something on a guy's tailgate or something and just visualize going through the shot all of those things you know uh help a lot and then take a your rangefinder laser rangefinder and if you don't have a you know a 3d target to practice you can just like visualize a you know, uh, like how far is that tree? And then you, you, you try to judge the distance, like, man, that tree's 28 yards and then check yourself with a laser range finder and, you know, familiar, familiarize yourself with how far things are. And, you know, and, uh, you know, and try, try to go through a regiment, right? Write, write down yourself 
uh, what a perfect shot is, you know, uh, like from start to finish, like my footwork is right. My feet are shoulder width apart. My, uh, you know, my torso straight. I got using my good back muscles. I'm actually trying to hold the bow up with my, my torso, not, not putting all the pressure on my shoulders and my arms, trying to squish the ball between my shoulder blades to execute a good shot, you know, and don't get, you know, uh, I call it, you know, weak on the shot. Don't collapse on the shot. Uh, try to pull through the shot, stay on the wall, you know, don't try to pull the wheels off the bow. Just all these things trying to build a uh, repeatable machine-like uh, uh, process in your form. But then when you do get a chance, you know, like, you know, if you want to shoot with your buddies and, you know, let's just say guys are coming over and, you know, you, you end up shooting 50 or 60 or 100 shots, you know, that's fine too. Just try to make sure that they're quality shots. And then, you know, before you start going down the fatigue road and getting into some bad habits, you know, just know when it's time to quit. And because a lot of times so many people shoot, 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 and they start building bad habits and they quit on a negative note. It's like, golly, man, I, I shot so good for the first 30 shots. And then in the last 20, I couldn't even hit a pie plate at 40 yards. I mean, I, it was horrible. So, you know, then they go through another day or two until they can shoot again. They go through all those negative shots like, man, this stuff is, this stuff is hard. Try to leave on a good note or quit before you get tired. Yeah. That's good advice. Now, are you a proponent of of shooting, practicing at you know a lot longer distance than than actual hunting conditions, or or do you think you're better off just to kind of stick with with the yardages that that you're going to be taking actual shots at? Because no, I've heard I'm, both both sides of that that argument, I guess. Yeah. Um. No. I mean, I'm uh I'm fine with it as long as someone is a realist. You know what I mean? Like, as long as you go into it like we you know, for the last couple of years, we have a Thursday night get together here with a bunch of our buddies. There's about 20 of us get together every Thursday night and we shoot and stuff. And man, we really have a blast and, and shooting at longer distances does make you hone in. I mean, like you really, it magnifies the flaws in your form and you see how far off you are. And you also see, you know, uh, you know, what you, you, you know, wh- where you're hitting and, and things like that. But you know, let's, let's just be honest. You know, you're, you're shooting at a live critter when it comes hunting. And we all know, even if that, even if that doe's out there feeding it at 80 yards and it's just relaxed, doesn't know that anything's of danger around it and it's eating, all it has to do is take a half a step and you've, you've went from the best shot you've ever had to hitting it in the hip. So we got to take into consideration what we're shooting at and, and what's real. We owe that to the animal, not to take unethical shots so um i'm not saying that people can't do it i'm not saying that there's not people out there that qualify to do it and i'm not saying that i mean i'll even group me in that i mean as far as like shooting i feel like i'm accurate enough to kill a deer at 100 yards but you know i mean that that's a you know that is is that ethical you know that's like you know a redneck shooting a thousand yards at a deer with a 30 out six, I mean, can it do it? Yeah, it could do it, but the odds are not in your favor. So, and we all know that deer are, I mean, they're hard enough to kill at 25 yards. I mean, if they hear the bow or hear the arrow bearing down on them, man, they'll turn inside out and, and sometimes upside down. So it's really hard to, to hit them. So I, I think it's okay to shoot farther, you know, especially if it's enjoyable and if you're really, you know, getting some good shots on it and it's fun. I mean, like, you and your buddies get together and, you know, like, hey, man, we're going to try to hit that, you know, that uh, Coke can out there at 100 yards. 
oh, all right, man, that'd be fun. So it, it's fun. I, I encourage people to do that. But, you know, don't don't think that I'm practicing at 100 so that I can kill a deer at 80. Let's keep it within reason. You know, like uh, I, I, I doubt there's very few people qualified to shoot, you know, at deer past 40 yards. Let's 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 keep our corn piles pretty close. How about that? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah, and and the <clears throat> the older I've gotten, and I guess the more I've matured as a bow hunter, yeah, you know, the more I want that deer, you know, within twenty yards, if, if possible. I just yeah, just yeah, too I don't much like can go wrong. Like, I don't like tracking them like I used to. I don't. Mm-mm. I want to know they're done. That's right. Well, Travis, as we kind of wrap things up here, any uh, any big plans for the upcoming season? Well, um, kind of in scramble mode right now. I, I, for the first time in fourteen or fifteen years, I didn't draw a Kansas tag, so uh, that's always one of the highlight trips for me. So, uh, looks like I'm going to try to go to Oklahoma. Uh, we're working on something in Texas, and maybe do something in Kentucky. And then, of course, I'll hunt quite a bit here at the house. I've got a couple places to hunt here, and uh, so does Michael. So, we'll uh, try to get one of these old Georgia vampires on the ground. <laughs> <clears throat> well yeah I, I i enjoy watching watching those hunts and and seeing what all you're doing on your property there as a as a fellow georgian yeah it's good to see yeah some, some homegrown deer yeah yeah we um we're working on actually got a mulching project we're starting uh monday actually I, I, I bought a farm i've been working on buying it for about uh five years and i finally uh got it got it bought and closed on it last month and we're supposed to start mulching on it Monday or Tuesday. There's a couple of areas. So I don't know how it's going to be for this year, but this property hasn't had a blade of grass cut on it in about 15 years. So it's a, it's definitely a diamond in the rough, but it, man, I can see all its potential. It's really going to be nice. Oh yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Good, good, good habitat is often, you know, it, it's, it's not always pretty to look at, but, uh, but yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're right, but uh, yeah, this particular property is is one thousand percent all habitat. So I, I got <laughs> I got to be able to plow the ground up in a couple places. <laughs> yeah, yeah, got to have a place to draw them out. That's right. Uh, well, good deal. For I guess uh, for those who want to want to keep up with with you and how you're doing and uh, what what the Bone Collector crew is up to, what's what's the best way for them to do that? Well, for me personally, uh, you know, on all the social media is uh, T-Bone Outdoors on Instagram, Facebook, as well as Twitter. And then same thing with uh, Bone Collector. Bone Collector on all of those platforms. YouTube, we have a, a Bone Collector. Go to bonecollector.com. We've got, uh, you know, updates on everything that we've got going on, plus all of our, uh, you know, gear. And there's, you know, the merchandise to shop there. And then uh, there's quite a bit of stuff on Realtree, too. You know, me, Michael, and Nick are all still tied in and we're uh you know i I consider myself real tree family and have for years so there's a lot of good stuff there as well so it ain't hard to find us yeah even with good camouflage it ain't hard to find me in the woods either so (laughs) (laughs) well good deal i'll be sure to link up to to a bunch of that there in the show notes and uh yeah travis i've enjoyed it and and appreciate uh, you taking time out to talk to me today Absolutely, Brian. I appreciate you having me on and uh, good luck to everybody. If if uh, we don't get to see you or talk to any of you, just good luck and be safe out there. That's right. All right, guys, that wraps up our interview with Travis T-Bone Turner. Uh, thanks so much for checking out this episode of the Deer Season 365 podcast. If you haven't already, please consider subscribing to the show. You know, you can find us on all the popular podcasting platforms like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, 
Spotify, iHeartRadio, uh, and and several more. So about anywhere you could listen to uh, listen to podcasts, you should be able to find us there. Uh, or you can just go to DeerAssociation.com slash podcast and subscribe directly from our website. Uh, hey, we'd also love it if you take just a second to leave us a five-star rating or a written review. You know, those both help us uh, climb the, the podcasting charts and be more visible to uh, to future listeners. So we would appreciate any support you could give us there. For more information about the National Deer Association, you can visit our website, again, at DeerAssociation.com. From there, you can sign up for our free weekly newsletter and, uh, hey, just enjoy some of our several hundred articles of, of free content right there on our website covering everything from hunting strategy to food plots, habitat improvement, um, deer management, you name it. Uh, if it's deer hunting or deer management related, we got some good content right there on our website available to you. So check that out. And of course, you can always find us on all the popular social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at Deer Association. So again, thanks for listening to the Deer Season 365 podcast, the podcast where deer season never ends.